much. Um, I, uh, I was about to give a qualifier before my sermon, before my message, and say, you know, we're adults in here, and we have, we're adults here, and we have some, uh, we're in a series on marriage, and so today, um, not that I would ever do anything inappropriate, but if you have little children, please understand we have children's programs downstairs that will be probably more appropriate for them. And uh, so, again, not that anything will be bad, but, you know, we uh, probably will talk about some things today that you might go, oh my goodness. And then Bobby and Joy got up here, man, sang a love song to one another. I like that. Kissed on stage. How cool is that? I love that. I like that. I tell you, I, I, I'm thankful for a worship leader and a wife that love one another. I genuinely doing that picture that you saw at the end there. Um, probably about a third of y'all's grandkids in that, right? <laughs> she said 12 of them. That's all of them. That's it. That's it. And uh, so, anyways, go ahead and but uh, go ahead and open your Bibles to James chapter four. James chapter four. Now, while you're turning in the Bible to James chapter four, um, our uh, architects have been working, and they are we are getting ready to call. A uh, meeting with our long-range planning team in about a week to look at some layouts and things on our property. So, you know, we have a building program going on. We're excited about that. Lord willing, Lord willing, we hope to break ground uh, this homecoming. And wouldn't that be cool? What a great day. A day when we all celebrate what God has done in the past of our church. And folks come back and be great to, to start moving some dirt. And seeing the building come out of the ground. So we're gonna, we've got a lot to do between now and then. The church will get to see all the drawings, get to see everything, and sign off on them and say, yeah, that's what we feel like the Lord would have us to build. I don't think it's on your envelopes. Two people asked me this this week. Do we have a building fund? Yes, we do. And so periodically, over and above, now over and above your regular giving, I'm talking to members now and regular attenders. Uh, if you're a first-time guest, please don't give. Um, we are here for you. But to regular members and regular attenders, um, we want to ask you, uh, uh, you know, uh, to know that you can anytime you can give to the building fund, uh, just write building fund on the envelope. I think on there where it says other, you can, you can put it, 100% of it will go towards the new building that way. And um, But anyways, I'm excited about that. I'm, I'm fired up about it. Let me tell you, I also... This important news, I got a note from our, one of our children's workers, uh, parents, it says, please pick up your children, all ages, downstairs today. So parents, if you have a child here today, please pick up your children, all ages, downstairs today, not over in the fellowship hall. They're doing something a little different, so just pick up your children downstairs just today. That's a one-time thing. Next week, we'll be right back to normal. Would you say that in marriage, communication is a problem sometimes? Absolutely. Absolutely. We struggle because we're trying to figure out when yes means no and when no means yes and, and when maybe means something at all or whatever it is. But, but sometimes it's not even what we say so much as it is how we say it. Even in dating or just relationships with your boss, this can be a problem. It can be a challenge. Have you ever said something to someone, you didn't mean it in a bad way whatsoever, but they took it that way? That happens all the time. 
and then sometimes you can you can be paying someone a compliment, and they'll take it critically. Uh, so there really are. Someone said I had a friend. I was talking with them about this. They said there are really two ways to say everything, and so I've developed a fun little guide to help uh, both sexes, male and female, understand what the other is trying to say. So first, uh, all right, uh, guys, I'm going to help you out here in understanding. Uh, what a what a what your wife or what a woman is actually saying, and what it really means. Are you with me? All right. So when a woman says, now seriously, on this first, <laughs> seriously on all of them. When a woman says, I need, and blank, I need something. You know what that means? That means I want. All right. I need that. That means she wants it. So listen before her birthday, before Mother's Day, before this moment she says, I need, I need that. I, I, I like that. Listen to phrases like that because that means I want it. All right? Now, uh, and when a woman says, it's your decision. <laughs> Y'all wait till I get there, okay? <laughs> that means what, that really say, what she's really saying is, decision should be really, really obvious by now. Alright? When a woman says, do whatever you want, that means what she's really saying is, you are going to pay for this later. <laughs> when a woman says, you sure are being nice tonight, you know what she's really saying? Is sex all you ever think about? <laughs> when a woman says, you know, I want some new curtains. You know what she's saying? She's actually saying, I want new curtains, new carpet, new furniture, new wallpaper. And the woman says, I'll be ready in just a minute. She's saying, kick your shoes off and find a good game on TV. When a woman says yes, guys, she really means no. And when a woman says no, she means yes. When she says maybe. That means no too, but anyway. <laughs> All right, now, what about what a husband says, though? What about what a guy says and what he really means? Ladies, I'm going to help you out. You listen? Paying good attention? All right. When a man says, I'm hungry, he's really saying, I'm hungry. <laughs> what a man, right, guys? could be translated as where's supper. <laughs> when a man says, I'm tired. You know what he means? I'm tired. That's right. <laughs> now when a man says, do you want to go out to a movie? You know what he's saying? I I'd eventually like to have sex with you. <laughs> when a man says, now I warned you about children's ministry. Okay? <laughs> when a man says, can we go out to dinner? And when he says, can we go out to dinner? You know what he's saying? He really means, I'd eventually like to have sex with you. <laughs> when a man says this, now listen to me, folks, in, you might get this one. When a man says, you look tense, let me give you a neck massage. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> right? Now, here's a different one. So you get, ladies, where we're going with this, but here we go. When a lady says, um, I mean, when a man says, I like the first, I like that first dress you tried on better. 
You know what he's saying? He's saying, pick any dress you want. Let's just go, right? Oh, it's all in fun, but I heard about a guy who wrote into tech support. Some of you have done that before for your computer, and some of you are software guys and gals, but he wrote in, and imagine this guy writing this in. Here, here's what it is, kind of tongue-in-cheek. Last year, I upgraded from girlfriend 7.0 to wife 1.0, and I noticed that the new program began unexpected processing that took up a lot of space and valuable resources. No mention of this phenomenon was included in the product brochure. In addition, he says, Wife 1.0 installed itself into every other program and monitors all system activity. <laughs> Applications such as Poker Night 10.3, Night Out with the Boys 2.5, and Saturday Night Football 5.0 no longer run, crashing the system whenever I select them. <laughs> I also cannot seem to keep Wife 1.0 in the background while attempting to run some of my other favorite applications. I thought about going back to Girlfriend 7.0, but the uninstalled does not work on the program. <laughs> Can you help me please? Now here's what the tech guy wrote back. Check this out. This is a very common problem that men complain about, but it's mostly due to a primary misconception. Many people upgrade from Girlfriend 7.0 to Wife 1.0 with the idea that Wife 1.0 is merely a utilities and entertainment program. However, Wife 1.0 is actually an operating system designed by its creator to run everything. You cannot go back to Girlfriend 7.0 because Wife 1.0 is not designed to do this. Some users have tried to install Girlfriend 8.0 or Wife 2.0 instead, but this is not recommended as they normally end up with more problems than the original system. Look in your manual under C colon forward slash warnings hyphen alimony and child support. <laughs> I recommend that you keep Wife 1.0 and deal with the situation. Having Wife 1.0 installed myself, I might also suggest that you read the entire section in your manual regarding general, general partnership faults, GPFs. You must assume all responsibility for any faults and problems that might occur, regardless of their cause. The best course of action will be to enter the command C colon backslash apologize. <laughs> the system will run smoothly as long as you take the blame for all the GPFs. Wife 1.0 is a great program, but is high maintenance. Consider buying additional software to improve the performance of Wife 1.0. I highly recommend Flowers 2.1, Chocolates 5.0, Diamonds 6.1. Amen, ladies? Do not, however, under any circumstances, install Secretary with Short Skirt 10.0. <laughs> This is not a supported application for Wife 1.0 and is likely to cause irreversible damage to the operating system. Best of luck, tech support. <laughs> well, that's kind of the way we look at marriage sometimes, isn't it? And relationships, even dating. And, uh, but all joking aside, when I talk with a lot of couples, one of the most common complaints that I hear from people 
is kind of goes like this. You know, we just can't seem to get along. We argue so much. We, I do love him. I do love her. But, but, but we have major blow-ups just over minor issues. I talk with parents sometimes who say the same thing. With that child, there's just so much tension, and I don't understand why we argue. We used to love one another, and we argue all the time. Now, in the book of James, James talks about this in relation to the church, and he also gives us solutions on how to avoid conflict. He really does. He gives us both the reason for conflict and the remedy for conflict. And at the very start of this message, I want you to think right now, just for a second, do not mention their name out loud. But in an honest attempt to see life change, they think of the person with whom you have a lot of conflict. You love them, but you have a lot of conflict. Just think of them for a second. Don't say it out loud. Now let's help you learn to avoid conflict with that person. James chapter 4. James chapter 4. Verses 1 through 10. James was an early, actually the half-brother of the Lord. He's writing to the church and he writes this. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure? That word pleasure is the word hedone in the Greek. H-E-D-O-N-E. -E. We get the word hedonism from it. It's desires for pleasure. <coughs> that war in your members. Then he says this. You lust, or that is you desire, and you do not have. You murder, and you, you covet, and you cannot obtain. You fight, and you war. Yet you do not have, because you do not ask. You ask, and you do not receive. So they were praying, but they weren't getting answered prayers. Why? He says, because you ask amiss, that you might spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers. Adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Now, he's not saying you're committing physical adultery. He's saying... Far worse than that, you're committing spiritual adultery. We're committing spiritual adultery. In other words, we've become better friends of the world and feeding our own pleasures than we have become friends of God. Strong language, adulterers, adulteress. Don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity or strife with God, variance with God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be the friend of this world makes himself an enemy of God? Or do you think that the Scripture says in vain, the Spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? That is, the Spirit wants to control us, the Holy Spirit, but we keep letting this old world Spirit take us over. But look at verse 6. He gives more what? Grace. What a beautiful, glorious word in the Scripture. Aren't you glad for grace? Therefore, he says, God resists. The proud. Now we need to circle that and underline that. Pride's not a good thing. Pride is a bad thing. God resists the proud. But he gives what? Grace to the humble. To the humble. Therefore, that is because of that, 
Submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into gloom. Humble yourselves. That's the key. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. And he will lift you up. Now, James is one of those writers in scriptures who absolutely does not beat around the bush. James doesn't mess around. James is a straight shooter. He gets right to the point. He goes right for the jugular at James chapter 4, verse 1. Where do wars and fights come from among you? People were arguing. People were in contention. They were in conflict. And he says, I'll tell you where they come from. They come from your desires for pleasure. But you should circle the phrase, your desires or your lusts for pleasures. That war in your members. What James says is this. The reason that we have conflict in our lives, now, you can mark it down every time, it's that we have differing desires. I desire one thing, you desire something else. That immediately produces tension, some type of a, if we don't check it, if one of us don't give in, there's conflict. I have desires, you have desires. When my desires conflict with your desires, sparks can fly. What kind of desires are you talking about? Well, the Bible makes it clear here that there really are three basic desires that cause conflict. Now, you've got to get this. These desires are not bad in and of themselves. The desires are legitimate. They, uh, they are God-given desires. But they're not bad until they get out of proportion, until they get out of priority, until first things become last and last things become first. <clears throat> And when any of these desires are placed above people and relationships, when they become number one in our lives instead of people, they'll cause conflict. What are they? Write it down, number one. Here it is. James talks about it in verse two. The desire to have. The desire to have. More than just a normal desire to have the things we need or the things we want, and God gave us that, James is talking about the times when our desires for things. It's not in proportion. It's not right. It, it's disproportionate. It dominates us. It begins to drive us. It begins to propel and control our lives. I want this. And the Bible at one point calls this coveting. And if you look at verse 2, James says this. You, you lust. It's a strong word. You desire, but you don't have. You covet. And you cannot obtain. And what he's telling these early believers is that you guys have some intense desires. The desire is strong. But here's what's fascinating about it. The more they wanted, the less they received. And, and uh, you know, if you think about sin, the very essence of sin is what? Selfishness. I mean, anytime I sin, it's me saying, this is what I want, this is what I'm going to do. It doesn't really matter, God, what you think. It doesn't really matter what's happening to somebody else. The very essence of sin is selfishness. I mean, you see this all through Scripture, that people wanted what they want. Uh, Eve disobeyed God. Why? Because she wanted to eat of the tree and become wise like God. 
Abraham in the Old Testament lied about his wife Sarah. Why? Because he selfishly wanted to save his own neck. Achan in the Old Testament caused defeat to the nation of Israel. Why? Because he selfishly wanted some of the stuff, some of the, the loot from uh, uh, Jericho in Joshua chapter 7. Isaiah 53, 6 says this. We have turned, describing the sinfulness of man, we have turned everyone to his own way. And when the desire to just do what I want and have what I want becomes something that drives me, it, 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 the, the desire for things dominates me. It, it's so out of, out of uh, order with what God wants. See, God created things, and he created things for us to enjoy, but here's, here's the deal. We're supposed to love people and use things to bless people. But here's what we do. We begin to love things and use people to get things. And that's the huge problem. When we love things and we start using people, manipulating them, moving them around to get the things that we want, we have become a person to whom things are more important than people. That causes huge conflict. Do you know that some recent, recently, the, the closest statistics I could find says that 56% of all marriages that end in divorce end in divorce because of money problems. Think about that. Money problems. Money. You can't get over money problems. You can't settle money problems. You know why? Things have become a battleground. We can't have enough things. We can't get the things we need or want. And, you know, it, it's, it's endemic in America. We aren't trying to keep up with the Joneses. We're trying to keep up with the Kardashians. And you can't do that. I mean, that's Hollywood. If you decide to base your life like how happy you are comparing with what other people have, what you have, you're never, ever going to be happy no matter how much you get. Because as soon as you get caught up with the Joneses, they refinance. Right? They upgrade. They trade it in. Always something more. And so here's what I'm saying. It's okay to want things, but, but you can't have an inordinate desire to have things. I deserve these things. I want these things, and I will have these things. It will literally wreck your home. Some of you have that, and you struggle with that, and you really need, I'm going to give you the solution in a little while, but you need to realize that that is at the root of all sin, selfishness. Second desire that James talks about causing conflict is this. Not only the desire to have, but look at verse uh, 3. He talks about the desire to feel. The desire to feel good. I want to feel good. I don't just want to have, I want to feel good. I, I deserve to be happy. I'll put it that way. You know, I, have, I want to have my senses satisfied. Look at verse uh, three, James says, you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss. That is, you're praying and you're trying to get it, but you don't receive because you're asking wrong. Why? That you may spend it on your pleasures. You're praying. But you're just praying for feel-good stuff. You want it because you, you want to feel good. It's not wrong to want to enjoy life, and God doesn't want us to be miserable all the time. Please understand that, but but listen to me closely, when pleasure and being happy 
becomes the number one goal in your life. You're saying, you know, if it feels good, just do it. It doesn't matter. Listen to what you're asking for. Conflict and trouble. It is absolutely going to cause problems in your life. And one of the reasons that this is a huge problem in America is that it has been, as Americans, it has been bred into us that we have a right to be happy. I hear people say that all the time. I have a right to be happy. No, you don't. But our Constitution says so, doesn't it? In fact, the Constitution says it's a God-given right. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights. And among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of what? Happiness. Happiness. I have a right to be happy. And you're making me miserable. You're bumming me out. You're a drag. I have a right to be happy. And being in this family, I can't be happy because it takes all my money to feed these kids and put a roof over your head. And, and I can't be happy because of you. I can't be happy because you don't earn enough money. And I have a right to be happy. And now, whereas people used to would put the family before the individual and say, I will suffer as an individual for the good of the family, now they say, the family has to suffer for the good of the individual because I have a right to be happy. When my pleasure takes precedence over what is needful, then we're in trouble. I'm more interested in my comfort than in your comfort. All I think about is what makes me feel good. The desire to feel good creates conflict. That's one of the reasons our nation's in such conflict right now. Everybody wants their rights. Everybody wants to be happy. Everybody wants to be happy, and that's first. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be happy, but, but it can't be first on your list of priorities. You got it? That? Why do you think people argue about physical intimacy, sex, and marriage? You know why? The desire for pleasure is a strong pleasure. And when it's worded, if you don't get pleasure, then resentment begins to build up. And resentment is the number one destroyer of relationships. I'm not happy. I haven't been happy in a long time. You're the cause. I'm leaving. I'm punishing you. So you have the desire to have, the desire to feel good, and, and then the desire to seem. The desire to seem, S-E-E-M. Really, you call this pride. A sense of power, prominence, or popularity. I want to be number one. I mean, I want everything the neighbors have. This is the... This, this really is the need decade. Look at me, look at me. Get, get to the top, strive for success. We walk around, and everything we wear, we drive, we say, look at me. My little grandkids came over yesterday, and I was paying one of them attention, and I was trying to show them something, and my little granddaughter was all around my feet. You know, she, she was trying to show me something, she kept saying, but she kept saying, look at me, look at me, Pat. Look at me, look at me, Pat. Look at me. Look 
look at me, look at me. I'm telling you, 15 times, I guarantee you. Until I stopped and looked at her. I had to look at her, but that's what was important to her. Look at me, look at me, look at me. We laugh about that when we're a kid, but when we grow up into adulthood, we still say that. Watch me, watch me, watch me, watch me. But we don't say it 15 times, like right in a row, jumping up and down, like we're about to go to the potty. But you know what we do? We say, watch me. By the way, I dress. Watch me. The clothes I wear. Watch me by the kind of car I drive. Watch me by the kind of things I, I fill my house with. It's a desire. It's pride if we don't watch it. To impress others. It's to be noticed. It's, it's a desire before pride to be number one and seem to be more than we really are. This thing is pervasive. It's crazy. It, it is crazy, this desire to seem. And we all need periodic reminders. I, I can't even say what I want to say right now. But you know, we all put our shoes on the same way, right? I mean, we all perspire. None of us is better than the other. Amen. The color of our skin makes no difference. The, the house we live in makes no difference. You, I, all of us, we're equal. We're just humans. And we are fortunate to have a God who loves us and saves us. And cares about us. But, but somehow we get comparing ourselves, don't we, to other people. We look up at God and we say, wow, we're so blessed. We're so fortunate. But we look at other people and somehow, subtly, it creeps in every time. It's in every race and every gender, everything. Somehow we think there's always somebody that we're better than. We might not say it, but, but we do. But you know, Proverbs 13.10 says, By pride comes nothing but strife. You should mark that down. Proverbs 13.10, By pride comes nothing but strife. That's so simple. You know why? Because I'm proud and I want to lift myself up. And by doing that, I, in a sense, just by default, put you down. And that causes conflict. You know, when we were kids, we would play a game, kind of wrestling around as boys. And the game was this, just wrestling. But we'd try to make the other one say a certain phrase. Get his arm, twist it behind his back until he'll say what? Uncle. Yeah, we're still down south. You remember that one. Uncle. Say uncle. Say uncle. Man, my big brother was a brute. He was a tough guy. And I, but I swear, I would, he would almost have to kill me before I finally just scream, you know, uncle, uncle. Now I have shoulder surgery sometime in the future. I'm going to send him the bill. But why do we do that? Why would we let somebody almost kill us before we would cry uncle? You know, oh, you want to be tough? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's all, it's really pride. And you know what it comes down to? We don't want to give in. We don't want to give in. You ever been in an argument where you knew you were wrong or you had done wrong, but you wouldn't admit it? Hmm? With a particular person. That's pride. Pride causes arguments. The bottom line of all these things that causes conflict, that, you know, sometimes we need to stop when we're in a conflict and argue with somebody just ask, is it really worth this just to just to seem right. Just to seem important. 
I love, I've told you this before, but our state motto, the North Carolina state motto, S.A. Quam Videri, in Latin. It means to be rather than to seem. I want to seem like something. What's the remedy for that? Let me give you some solutions. James does give them to us. If you look at verse 6 and verse 10, the first remedy for all this conflict and pride is actually humility. It's very plainly written out in the text, and this is why we go to the Bible, because God's Word is as fresh as the morning paper, even more so. And, and it's full of practical advice. And so look at verse 6. God resists the proud. He, excuse me, verse 6, He gives more grace. Therefore, He says, God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Look at verse 10. Therefore, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. Do you see it? God resists the proud, but He'll give grace to the humble. Now, you know what grace is? Grace has got the power to change, really, in some way. It, it really is. It, 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 if you think about it, God in His grace gives us the power to change. He offers it freely. He doesn't charge us. So what would you like to change about yourself? If you were honest, don't say it out loud, but think about it for a moment. What would you, what would I like to change about myself? Whatever that is, you're going to need God's strength, God's grace to do it, right? Amen. You can't do it on your own. What do you want to change about your relationships, your marriage, your, your friendships? Whatever you'd like to change, you need grace. And there's only one way to get grace. Humble yourself. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. God gives grace to the humble. But He doesn't give grace to people who are full of pride and think, I can do this on my own. And He gives it. When we come and we say, God, I can't do this. I'm nothing. I need your help. Amen. That's when we get the power to make the changes we'd like to see. In the next few verses, James gives four specific actions that need to be taken in order to stop the fighting and the conflict in our lives. Here's how you resolve a conflict, whether it's between you and a child, you and your husband, you and someone at work. Four things, very quickly. Number one. Here's how you humble yourself. Practical steps, because we say, well, it's mean to humble ourselves. Well, here's what, exactly what it means. First of all, in verse 7, he tells us, give in to God. Amen. Just give in to God. Look at verse 7. Therefore, because of this, when you see the word therefore, you always should read the preceding verses to see what it's there for. He'll say some things, and he'll say, therefore, which means because of this, what? Submit to God. Do you see it? Submit to God. You know what your real problem is? What my real problem is? Or what the real solution is? You need to let God be the God of your life. Amen. Not stuff. Not pleasure. Not your pride. You and I, we, our real problem is we need to let God be God in your life. Not things, not feelings, not image. Let God be God. Let Him be first. Submit to Him. Yield yourself to Him. That is the starting point. James says conflict happens, now follow me, on the outside of our lives. Really. Because we all have a conflict inside. 
you don't get along with other people on the outside. Do you know why? Because you've got a civil war going on with you on the inside. That's the real issue in the starting piece. The starting point is to get peace inside before you can have peace outside. So, so what it means is I just raise the white flag of surrender and I say, Lord, I'm nothing. My will doesn't matter. My desires don't matter. My image doesn't matter. Yours does. I want your will for my life. God, I give in to you. And some of us need to stop praying, Lord, change my wife. Lord, change my husband. Lord, change my son. Lord, change my daughter. Lord, change my neighbor. And we need to pray, Lord, change me. Now, I'm telling you, this is you. You work on you. And you watch what happens. It's absolutely phenomenal. Give in to God. means you learn to say, thy will be done, instead of saying me first. When you can say, Lord, whatever you want, that's what I want. That's where the peace process starts. So number one, give in to God. Number two, quick steps. James says, get wise to Satan. <coughs> get wise to Satan. Look at verse 7, the rest of it. Resist the devil. And he will flee from you. Listen, whether you believe it or not, Satan is a real entity. Satan is a real angelic being who desires to destroy you. Who desires, he hates God, he hates everything good, he hates everything righteous, he hates everything peaceful. Doesn't he? Those of you who know your Bible, he hates peace. He hates rest. He hates good, healthy marriages. He hates good, healthy relationships. He hates good neighbors. He, he hates. He's a destroyer, a liar, and a thief. And if you're sitting here today and you say, yeah, well, that's one of those churchy things. I don't know if I really believe in a devil who's, who's going around tempting and hurting and causing this stuff in the world. Then you're already duped. You're in serious trouble. Because he is very very real. Amen. And he is out to destroy you. And to have an enemy and not be aware of that enemy is real trouble. So you got to be aware. you got to be alert. you got to realize that you have an enemy. And he's trying to destroy your life. And he's trying to destroy your family. And you realize where conflict really comes from. And that he is the source behind it. That he's stirring this stuff up. How does, how, does, how does the devil operate? You know how he operates? He, well, think about it. He operates on, he plays on our pride. <coughs> Particularly wounded pride. He whispers in our ear. Gives us little faults. Now, I never hear it. I'm just saying he gives us little faults, suggestions, and ideas. You'd be in the middle of an argument with somebody, a boss or your husband or your wife. He'll start whispering things to you like, you don't have to take this kind of stuff. I'm retaliating. Who do they think they are? Call them this. Tell them. You've been holding back. Tell them. It feels so good. You just tell them. Show them who's the boss. Get even. You have the right to be happy. They're making you miserable. You don't have to put up with this kind of stuff. It tells you all the things your pride wants to hear. You're just going, yeah, tell me more. Tell me more. That's right. You need 
say, Satan, I know that's you. Now don't do it out loud. Everybody think you're crazy. Go along every now and then when your life has been dominated by negative thoughts, you need to get alone in a, in a place that Jesus spoke of like a prayer closet. Just get alone. And then you pray out loud and you say, Lord Jesus, help me as I do this. But I want to pray and speak out loud now. And I'm speaking to Satan or any demons who are just hassling me and disrupting my life in the name of Jesus Christ. I want you to know I'm a blood-bought child of God. Jesus Christ washed me in His blood. I belong to Him. And He has bought me the lot, stock and barrel. He's paid for every sin, uh, sin that I've ever committed. I'm a child of God in the name of Jesus Christ. Satan, I want you to go. I command you to leave in the name of Jesus Christ. You are trespassing on my Father's ground in the name of Jesus Christ. Be Amen. And you know what the Bible says? Resist the devil. And he'll do what? He'll flee from you. You say, are you praying to the devil? No, I'm not saying, I'm not praying to the cat when I say stat. <laughs> Jesus did that. The disciples did that. Resist him. And he'll flee. It's a great promise here. Resist the devil, he'll flee from you. You don't have to put up with that. Give in to God. Get wise to Satan. Third, grow closer to God. Amen. You give in to God, but you've got to grow closer to God. No replacement for it. Look at the first part of verse 8 in your text. What does it say? Draw near to God, and He will what? Draw near to you. Draw near to God, and He'll draw near to you. You've all heard this. It's probably been told too many times. Old Farmer Jim's riding down the road. He's just riding down the road with a bench seat on his pickup truck. His wife's sitting way over on the other side. She looks over at him and says, You know, when we used to date and first got married, we didn't sit this far apart. Old Jim's driving down the road and he says, I ain't moved. <laughs> <laughs> Draw near to God. Draw you, your responsibility, my responsibility, draw near to God. Amen. And He will draw near to you. I've made an amazing discovery in life, seriously, and I just fail at it over and over, and then I learn it and I get back. But the more time I spend alone with God, the more time I'm really spending alone with God, like I'm really praying like I'm supposed to be praying, I'm getting up and listening to the Word every morning, I don't read my Bible in the mornings, typically for devotional purposes. I do a lot of reading for study, but I'll just get up and listen to it on an app. I have a Bible app, version. The more I do that, the better I get along with other people. That's really true. Count on it now. When our argument level rises in our marriages and our relationships, it means typically one of us or both of us aren't spending time with the Lord. It's that simple. Isaiah 26.3 says, here's why, Isaiah 26.3 says this, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. That's a great verse, isn't it? Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. You want perfect peace? Then stay, fix your mind on the Lord. 
Keep your eyes on the Lord. Meditate on the Lord. Spend time with the Lord. You'll be in perfect peace. Thou will keep you in perfect peace if your mind is stayed on thee. So if you don't have perfect peace, your mind is not stayed on Him. I'm not just saying you. I'm saying me. Listen, the conflict in our lives is in direct proportion to the time we're spending with God. There's a great promise here in James. When I in genuineness draw close to God, He draws close to me. He doesn't back off. He doesn't stiff arm me. He draws close. You give in to God. You get wise to Satan. You draw close to God. When you've done those things, then you can do this fourth one. And this is crucial, critical, ending conflict. Be willing to ask for forgiveness. Just be willing to ask forgiveness. I don't know why it is, but when we've messed up, we've been in conflict with somebody, and they've chewed us out, and we've chewed them out, and they, you know, you get all that animosity. Sometimes it's just really, really hard to go to somebody and say, you know what, I, I just really screwed up. I just flat messed up. <coughs> Will you forgive me, please? I just messed up. Really hard to do that, isn't it? Sometimes. But if you want to remedy the conflict in your life, you get along with other people and avoid arguments, you've got to learn to ask forgiveness from God and then from those who you hurt. Look at verses 8. Look at the last part of verse 8. James gets real specific here. Cleanse your hands. Think about that word, hands. You sinners. Purify your hearts. You double-minded. James talks about our conduct and our attitude there. Our hands represent our conducts. Our conduct, the things we've done with our hands, our actions, our hearts. When he says, purify your hearts, it represents our attitudes. What he's saying is, clean up your act. Verse 9, lament, mourn, mourn, and weep. And he's saying, what he's saying is, get serious about this now. Don't minimize it. Take it seriously. Get broken over the self-centered, prideful ways we've been acting and living. It is a big deal if your husband says you hurt his feelings. Take it seriously. It is a big deal if your kids say that really hurt me, that was wrong. If someone says you've hurt them, guess what you've done? You've hurt them. And stop with these cop-out, let's stop with these cop-out, well, if I offended you, I'm sorry for the way you took that. No, you're not. No, you're not. It doesn't matter. Listen, you say, well, it's 95% them and 5% me, then apologize for your 5%. Now listen to me without bringing up their 95%. Just own up to what you are responsible for. Don't worry about what they did. God, God is willing to deal with them. God can deal with them, and He's quite able to deal with them. But you keep a clean slate before God. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? You know what? I'm amazed. For whatever reason, we think when we mess up bad and we go to somebody and say, I really messed up, will you forgive me? We really think they're going to drag us through the coals. They're going to nail us to the wall. But you know what they typically do when we're honest and we come to them and we're very sincere? And we say, man, I am just sorry. When we're honest and genuine, we say, I really messed up. I 
I really messed up. You know what they say typically? You don't drag it through the coals, they say. All right, let's figure out a way to fix it. I mean, they forget. They're even willing to help. And it doesn't matter whether they do or don't. You're still responsible. I'm still responsible for me, for my actions. Are you willing to go and apologize for your part? Hmm? Their response is their response. You let God take care of that, and you take care of your problem. In the first three verses of this chapter, it's fascinating to me, and I'm closed. Four times, James says, you're, you're unsatisfied. I mean, he says, you want it, but you don't get it. You're striving, but you can't have it. You're unsatisfied. You're unsatisfied. Are you unsatisfied? The secret to satisfaction is a life fully surrendered to Jesus Christ. Amen. You give yourself to Him and find your needs met in Him rather than other people. And He will never let you down. Let's pray. Now Lord, we are all affected by a message like this. And if we don't think we are, then we're probably most affected in this room because we're certainly private. Lord, we all need forgiveness. We all need mercy. We all need grace. You give grace to the humble. Where our lives are messed up and we've been in full strife, Lord, would you help us today not to make excuses just to give in to you. Maybe someone here today just needs to be saved. They just say, I just need Jesus Christ in my life. I'd like to have a brand new start. I need Jesus as my Savior. Maybe a lot of us, Lord, who have known you for some time as Savior could honestly say, man, I just need what this message talks about. I need to humble myself. I need to go confess that I was wrong. I need to be able to do that easier. Not be so worried about seeming or feeling or having. I pray that you will deal with us now, Lord, according to your grace. Bring healing into our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Let's stand together for just a couple of moments. Then we're going to go over those that want and enjoy a mission meal. But right now, right now, Let's respond to the message. It's a time to come forward if you want for prayer, if you need to pray to receive Christ, if you need help, counsel, anything at all, if you'd like to express your interest in joining the church, being baptized, anything at all, this is a time where you can come forward and do so. And so you just come right now as we see.
Thank you.